Come on, let's just give Jesus a shout of praise this morning. Come on. All right, y'all are fun. This is, um, I'm so honored to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, all the way from Colorado Spring, Springs where, yes, you know, uh, you know, people are smoking weed and doing all sorts of things. Um, we're praying. We're working on it. We're working on it, Jesus. I am, uh, but uh, I am, my home state is Louisiana. Has anybody been to Louisiana? Can you just clap for Louisiana? Come on, do that. Come on. Because people in Colorado, it's, I mentioned Louisiana, Southern things, and I'm from like the, I mean, it's, we call it the dirty, dirty South, like all the way down about 30 minutes from the Gulf of Mexico. It's also known as Hurricane Central. I was telling some of the young people yesterday at an Encounter Student Conference, you know, every part of the country, I guess, has their own uh, little uh, experience in terms of natural disasters or things that go to awry. In Louisiana, we have, you know, in Louisiana, we have hurricanes and, you know, just cra- thunderstorms, all that kind of stuff. In Colorado, you know, it, we had this massive blizzard and snowstorm just a couple of weeks ago. And here you have a boot, a boots, a boots, a boots. <laughs> Um, And so they were just telling me about these things. I was just in fascination and wonder. Uh, And so I am, I I just, I was watching videos yesterday for a really long time of these. I just can't even imagine what that would feel like. So uh, God bless you. I am honored to be here in Texas where I can find sweet tea. Come on, somebody. You don't even know my struggle. You don't know my struggle. You don't know, okay? And so there's, you know, you can't find sweet tea just flowing at restaurants in Colorado. They give you unsweetened tea. I'm like, who wasted? I could just take the glass and pour it out on the ground because it's like, what a waste of time, you know? Anyways, and so I'm so thankful. I've been drinking lots of sweet tea since I've been here. I'm enjoying seeing people of different colors other than white. Come on, somebody. Uh, that's my, hello. I mean, well, well, and so it's just, it's just, it's amazing. I've been in Colorado four years. And, um, and I'm thankful uh, to work at a great church called New Life Church in Colorado Springs. I have the privilege of overseeing a youth group called Desperation Student Ministries, an internship called Desperation Leadership Academy, and a conference called Desperation Conference. And uh, I'm so thankful. I have my friends here, some DLA students. Come on, y'all stand up. You know I love you. I just want to, they roll their, don't you roll your eyes at me. Don't roll your eyes, Alex. So they are hanging out this, uh, this, this weekend. Also, they're all from, or two of them from Texas. Other ones from Virginia. We still love her. And uh, I'm thankful uh, for the Woods family as well. They took me to Raising Cane's yesterday. Come on, family will feed you well, right? That's what, come on. And so I'm super honored. Uh, Pastor Stormy and Shelly, Pastor Jimmy and Amy. Uh, Pastor Jimmy and Amy I met several years ago at our uh, conference that we have at New Life Church, and uh, I'm so honored that they thought enough of me to invite me to speak at your guys' conference. It's been a huge, a massive blessing. And then, of course, Pastor Stormy, trusting me uh, with your amazing church. I'm so thankful for what God is doing here in your city through you. If you look around the room, you're a reflection of the kingdom of God in the earth. And so it's an honor to be here with you guys this morning. I want to introduce you to my family. I am married. Uh, for, we're coming up on six years. It's so hard to believe. And so I want you to take a look at my little family. Yes. Oh, come on. That's magazine worthy right there. 
Literally, we're on the cover of Focus on the Families magazine, which is so, it's crazy. But, okay, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord, okay? And so that's my bride, my favorite. Her name is Octavia. Uh, she is everything she looks to be in this picture, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the epitome of grace and kindness and gentleness we're complete opposites okay and so and then on my daughter she is not everything that she looks like in this picture (laughs) she's a terror no i'm kidding she is full of life she is full of personality she has lots to say she's she's learning now and we got to put her in her place like all right girl um at three years old because she's learning to like formulate arguments and make justifying statements and push back on ideas and uh so she's so much fun she's three years old and then with her little hands crossed okay she just got saved a few weeks ago I used to like ask her if she loves Jesus and she would say no um but so and then we have a five-month-old her name is Nora Grace and I think she's going to be way different from Ryan I guess that's just the way that it works she is way more chill, way more, I mean, her personality is so great. Um, and so that's my little family. We are the, uh, are the Cormiers, and uh, they are waiting for me back home. My wife was texting me pictures of the girls uh, this morning. Um, so today, I do feel like there is a word from the Lord for you today. There's a word that God, uh, that I feel like he put on my heart for you. I was praying for you last night, praying for you this morning. And so we're going to be looking at the book of Solomon, or actually the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, the second book that was uh, written by uh, the great and wise uh, King Solomon. Um, So if you have your Bibles, we'll get to it in a minute, but if you want to prepare, we're going to be coming out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 today, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And so so here's the deal, you've got to know this about Solomon Um, Solomon is known as the wisest person to have ever lived. He carried this gift of wisdom that God had given to him. And so Solomon in his writings in Ecclesiastes, the Hebrew name actually of the book of Ecclesiastes is actually the, um, the writer is referred to as a Hebrew word. It's called the Koheleth. And the Koheleth in the Hebrew language means one who kind of stands before a crowd who's gathered together. It represents a preacher, a speaker, a great orator, one who has something to say to a large amount of people. And so in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is basically positioning himself and saying, I will come, let me be your your Koheleth. Let me be your speaker, your teacher today. There are some things that I want to tell you about God. So the assignment of the Koheleth, again, in, in Hebrew culture, was to orate, was to articulate. And specifically in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the Koheleth, is teaching on three major aspects of who God is. And so the first one, I'll outline them for you, and then we'll land on one, and, uh, and, and we'll get to where we're going this morning. So number one, as I can see in the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the things that Solomon is kind of lecturing on, one of the aspects of God's nature is the fact that God is a creator. Everybody say creator. 
And so most of us have, most of us would be familiar with this concept or this characteristic or this realm of God's nature. He is the one who creates in the Latin, we call it ex nihilo. Out of nothing, God creates something. He is the God who at the beginning of time just chose to say, let there be. And the moment that God speaks it, everything realigns itself to come in agreement with what he is saying because he is creative just by his very nature. So he says, let there be light and light appears and he speaks the world into existence. And the Bible talks about their fire coming out of his mouth and all things that were created. He spoke into existence. And this is one of the things that is most impressive for me about God is whenever he had choices, he had choices, he had choices. So whenever he chose to create the land, the lands and heavens and seas and animals, he spoke. But whenever he came down to his prized possession, his creation, you and I, humans, he reaches down into the dirt, metaphorically speaking, rolls up his sleeves and gets his hands dirty and he forms Man And he creates man, what we call Imago Dei, in the image of God. And he breathes within us. So it's very personal. To create by speaking is one thing. But to create by your own personal design of knitting and crafting us together, the Bible says in, in our mother's womb, this is who our God is. He is a creator by design. Can I get an amen? Okay, and so most of us say, oh, that's cute. You know, I'm, I'm so good with that. God is a creator. I love that. Even, even those who maybe don't follow Jesus or don't have a close relationship with Jesus, the fact that God created everything, that's not offensive. It is, there's no tension involved. But, so, so, but secondly, our coalesce, our, our, our teacher, our speaker, Solomon, also, he not only talks about God being a creator, he also talks about this other aspect of God that we refer to as the sovereignty of God. So the fact that God is sovereign. What is sovereign, you may be thinking. Let me bless you. Sovereign means God does what he wants, when he wants, however he wants to do it, however long he wants to do it, and he does it without needing to consult Anyone except for himself, he finds counsel in him because he is the epitome and the personification of wisdom, of power, of strength, of might, of mercy, all of those things. So the fact that God is sovereign, our coalesce also deals with in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, this creates maybe a bit of tension for some of us. Because uh, how many of you would be honest and say, you kind of like to be in like control of things? Come on, raise your hands. It's confession Sunday. All right. Yeah, raise them high too, like wave at me. So everybody in your row can say, yes, I like, me too. I like to be in control. And I, I want to, uh, you know, and even if I don't really know what's going on, I'm like, don't you want to ask my opinion on it? Because I feel like I have something to offer. I feel like I have something to say. I want to know when something's going to happen. I want to know how it's going to happen. I, I just want to know. I just, I like to feel like I'm in like control and not like in a bad way. At least I don't think so. I mean, you want my opinion about it? It's just, it's, we, we like to, we like to, I think all of us at a certain level, uh, like to kind of direct things or 
have some kind of weigh-in on what's going to happen around us. And so it causes a little bit of tension because whenever that bumps up against this sovereignty thing, it's like, well, God, like, would you move out of the way? <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to accomplish your purposes here. You know, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do something for you. Will you get out of my way so that I can glorify you? Or will you do this, like, my way? Because, you know, I, you know, I just, I, I have an opinion, and I've got experience, and I'm logical, and I'm smart, and I'm educated, or I've learned a lot. And so surely you want my opinion. You want, you, you want, my, want my counsel. But the sovereign nature of God says, I am God. <laughs> and you are you are man. There was an old song that was written years ago by a group called Phillips, Craig, and Dean. And I'll let my words be few. Jesus, I am so in love with you. It's actually taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. So I'll stand in awe of you, Jesus. Yes, I'll stand in awe of you, Jesus. So I'll let my words be few. Jesus, I am so in love with you. And so this idea that he is God and we are not causes a little bit of tension sometimes. Because wouldn't it be cool for us to be sovereign or something? And don't we really like, I want to be in control. So God is sovereign. A little bit of tension for some of us. With this sovereign nature, you've also got to understand, though, that uh, because the question always Im- that immediately follows is if God is sovereign, he's in control. Why did he allow this to happen? Why does he need to stop that? But you've got to understand that a holy and a loving God permits some things that he does not perpetrate. Permits some things that he does not perpetrate in his sovereignty. And thirdly, which is where we'll spend our time this morning, A third aspect, so God is creator, God is sovereign. The book of Ecclesiastes teaches us Solomon. But then, but but God is, God possesses unsearchable wisdom. And this is arguably the most offensive to our American uh, democratic elitist mindset because we say, you know, I, you know, I've kind of pulled myself up in my bootstrap, by my bootstraps. I've worked really hard. The financial resources I have, I, I worked hard for them. The intellectual resources I have, I worked hard for those. And all of these different things. And, and so don't, doesn't God want to consult me on some of the decisions that he's making, specifically since it's my life, right? This is my life. I mean, I, I, this, I've been with this life since birth. And so this is, this is mine. I think we tend to... Forget that your life is not your own. Your body is not even your own. For you've been purchased with a high price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. Even your soul, Ezekiel says, God is the owner of your, of your soul. And so this, this idea, God is unsearchable in his wisdom. Why? Because we like to understand everything, right? Anybody ever ask someone for an explanation before? Like, why'd you do that? And then they just maybe ignore you or they don't kind of tell you what you want. Isn't it the frustrating thing? No, no, no. I want to understand why'd you do that? Or why'd this happen in my life? Or why is this transpiring? Or why is this going on? Or who elected that person? Or how did that, why are they making these decisions? God is unsearchable in his wisdom. The depths of his wisdom will never be able to be grazed, touched with a 10-foot pole coming from your hand because his wisdom is so deep, it's so vast, it's so broad and 
thank God that it is Solomon, the intellectual genius, with all of his wonderful wealth and his prized possessions and his timeless titles and his awesome accolades and achievements becomes our co our preacher, our orator. And he says, listen, lean in, everybody. Listen, I've got something I want to teach you about the uncreated God of the ages, the majestic nature of God. You have your Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter three. I'll start reading at verse one. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse one says this. To everything, there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. There's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones and a, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. Verse 9 says, what profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made Everything, verse 11, beautiful in its time. And also, he has put eternity in their hearts. Except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. I want to speak to you briefly this morning from a message I've entitled, Life with Limits. Everybody say, Life with Limits. Bow your heads with me. Father, I thank you for the power that is latent in the word of God. Thank you that your word has the power to change us, to save us, to strengthen us, to bring us hope, to bring us life this morning. We long to look more like your son, Jesus Christ. So Holy Spirit, breathe on us today as you reveal Jesus to us in a greater way. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. All right. So verse one, verse one says this to everything, everything. There is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. See, the Kohaleth, Solomon, the preacher, the orator, the teacher, deals extensively with the concept of time. He mentions time about 30 times over the span of around 10 verses. 30 times he mentions time, time, time. See, it's important to understand, though, that Solomon is not making uh, exhortations and he's not making encouragements about what we should be doing with our time. He is si rather, he is simply making an observation. He says, as I look at the human heart, as I look at life here on earth, and as I, and as I think through the wisdom that God has given me, I'm telling you, I'm just making an observation. There seems to be. A time where people are mourning and a, a time where people are laughing. And, and, he, and he talks about all of these things. So it's an observation. So, but it's interesting to me that in verses 2 through 8, 
he puts the seemingly what we would naturally call good things or positive things. Sometimes he puts them first. Sometimes he puts them last. He kind of intentionally flip flops back and forth. And so, so, so here's the deal. He says, there's, there's a time to be born. Yay! We all like when babies are born. But then there's a time to die. Boo! Nobody likes going to a funeral. All right? And then he says, a time to, a time to kill. Boo! Murder! Ah! But then there's a time to heal. Yay! You know, a time, a time to gain. Yes, Lord! You know, uh, and a time to, to lose. No, Lord, you know, and, and so he just says these are observations because life just has a way of happening. Life just has a way of happening. See, here's what I want to tell you, church, this morning. Things are going to happen in this life that are completely outside the realm of your control. And you need to stop it or... You know, we like to think that sometimes. You know, All right, if I just do something enough, like I can prevent whatever. Because life is unpredictable at best. At best. And so you, things will happen and occur that you can't control. I remember after we, um, whenever we found out we were pregnant with our, with our second child, I just, I told Octavia, Lots of people that I talked to, and here's the logic behind what I was saying. I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to have a boy. Logically, what I was saying was, I mean, doesn't it make sense? I mean, I'm a man. You're a woman, Octavia. And so that's one guy and one girl. Okay, we had our first child, and she's a girl. So now our little, you know, it's kind of off balance. So we have two guys and one, uh, we have two girls and one guy. And so I'm like, so surely, you know, logically, I mean, doesn't it make sense? Like I need a little boy and a little girl. And I remember at the gender reveal party, nobody was more shocked than me to find out, like, we got two girls, you know? And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh, like, I've loved my mom my whole life. I have, like, a billion aunts and and, and female cousins and and, and cousins that were just like sisters, you know? And and so I've loved all these women. And then, okay, and then i got to figure out how to love Octavia, like my wife. Okay, that's another woman. Then i got Ryan. Okay, I'm loving this girl. And it's like, all right, I want to love you with all my heart. And then it's like, there's... There's no more room in my world for girls. God, just give me a son, you know, Simba, you know, somebody, you know, okay, the circle of life over here. And so it just made sense. Logically, I'm going to have a little boy. Every dad with two or more girls just raise your hand and wave at me this morning. Perhaps you can counsel me. I mean, it's just, I don't even understand, okay? Five, three years and, 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 you know, a five-month-old little girl. And I'm thankful, but the point I'm making is it was completely out of the realm of my Troll, it's happened. All right, two girls. All right, great. Awesome. In that example, it's not huge deal. It isn't anything bad, but what happens whenever something goes south in your life that you just did not plan for? I remember after Octavia and I got married about maybe nine months or so into our, our first year of marriage, we started experiencing these female problems, and we found out that she had cysts and ovary things. And I'm just, what do all these things mean? But watching her crawl through our house on our hands and knees because her body was just widening in pain night after night. And I was thinking, nobody planned for this. Like, what? You know what I'm saying? We're like people of prayer. We prayed and prayed before that and prayed after that. And But going through it, it's like, what? I can't... 
I want to control this. I want to fix this. As a matter of fact, I would have prevented this from happening if I were sovereign. If I were in control. It messes with you a little bit, hey? Because we like to think we're in control. I remember my pastor years ago would say, you know, whenever they would leave and go on vacation, like, Lord, just, you know, just cover our home, you know, and, and he just said, the Lord just told me, like, well, what, what do you think I do for you every day? Do you think you're the one that's keeping your family safe? Do you, do you, like, how is this any different from me protecting your home and your family whenever you're present? As it's, it's always me. It's always been me. It always will be me. It's the things that happen in our world. Whether it's a diagnosis or someone dies on you, just, well, what, you, what is going on? Or the loss of the job, or the child makes a bad decision, or marriage, somebody walks out, somebody leaves, and you never plan for them to leave, or somebody enters your world or enters your family that you never, th- life just has a way of happening. It is unpredictable. At best, we're not in control. Life with limits. Verse, next verse I want to highlight is verse 11. It says that he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts. Except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Sometimes you just let the word of God speak all by itself. He is the God was promised to us by his very nature. He makes all things beautiful in his timing. See what I'm saying? And it messes with us because we function and we live in the reality of time. God does not. Do you understand this? So God takes time and he actually uses time as a method, as a vessel, as an instrument of accomplishing his purposes for his glory. This whole thing is about the glory of God. It'd be, so, so whenever we're going through time or walking through hard times or challenging times or whatever it is we're going through, the ups and the downs, and we're in the thick of it, and we're in the minutiae. And yes, while God is everywhere, he is with us, essentially God also... God exists outside of time. So it'd be like the analogy of if there is a parade going on and, and we're seeing things as it happens while God is right there with us because he is omnipresent. He also functions and exists outside the realm of time. So he's able to look at the start and the finish of not just your life, but the very beginning before there was a beginning, he was there and he sees that. And then at the very end of the age, whenever the end of eternity and infinity is, and he's there too, and he can see both from his vantage point. And he says, don't worry. I got you. I got you. Because I can see where this whole thing is going. As a matter of fact, scripture says that he, he stands at the end of a thing. And he speaks and he declares to the beginning. Because there's a master plan at work. This, this is our God. Outside of time. That's his world. That's his realm. He steps into time. And he causes things and he 
walks with us through the fires of time. But don't get it twisted. He is high and lifted up. He is a lofty. Do you understand this? This is why we can appeal to someone outside of this. God help us. We appeal to the high court of heaven. There is a greater one, and his name is Jesus. So this idea that God has put eternity in their hearts, it can also be translated minds. So in our hearts are our minds, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. See, deep within each of us, because God has placed eternity, or forever is a better translation there. God has put forever in your heart and your mind. Deep within each one of us is a desire to to understand, to grasp, God, what is going on? And the Greek philosophers really brought this out in our world. We want to know the meaning of life. We want to know where where is this whole thing going and how long is it going to take us to get there? Anybody ever been on a flight before and it just felt like forever and you're just like, ding, 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 ding. When are we going to be there? Like, what's what's going on? You know what I'm saying? What, are you checking the flight attendant, all right? Like, they said we're going to be there 45 minutes ago. And what are we doing? What's going on? What's the destination? What time are we going to get there? Deep within us, we have this desire to know the full story, the full picture. Where is all of this heading? What is it? What does every single thing in our lives mean? He's put forever in our hearts and our minds. So the ache in our human nature is to see the big picture. Have you ever, I mean, obviously by analogy, if something is here and it's really, really huge and you're trying to get a big picture, what do we do? We take a step back. We get a better view. And then you step back and get a bigger view. But, but we, here we are all the way over here and, and we've got to realize that we're, we're scratching the surface at best in terms of the plans and the picture that God has for us. Do you understand? No matter how far you go, because your mind cannot reach into the depths of his unsearchable wisdom. God's got a plan. God can see what I cannot. God's in control. God is sovereign. He possesses unsearchable wisdom. No one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end, says the Kohelet. So stop trying to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. Isn't just a torture chamber? (laughs) Seriously, anybody who's lived a little bit of life, if you haven't experienced that, just keep on living. Your moment will come. I'm not speaking death. I'm not speaking, I'm not being whatever. I'm, not, I'm just saying life has a way of happening. And if you think that it's all going to be uh, roses and a, a bed of flowery things on this, you've got it wrong. We love to talk about the promises of God. Jesus said, here's one promise. In this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But you will have trouble. And that trouble, it's intense. It's not just like, oh, like somebody, you know, frowned at me. I mean, it's like violent, like turbulent, like tragic things. It's just, it's just a part of the, it's a part of the process of life. We live in a broken and a fallen world. So things are going to happen. So but the good news is be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And the even greater news is that he knows what he is doing in your life. He knows what he is doing in your life. Life is at best unpredictable. See, this is a call this morning to trust in the unsearchable wisdom of God. 
the unsearchable wisdom. I think it's interesting whenever Paul writes in the New Testament and he says, I want for you to know what is the, I want you to experience what is the height and what is the depth and what is the length and the width and the breadth of the love of God towards you in Christ Jesus. He says that about the love of God, but he doesn't say that about the unsearchable wisdom of God, meaning that even whenever I do not understand, I can perfectly tap into the love of God and trust and believe it's going to be okay. This is say. I heard a preacher say years and years ago that you can, sometimes in some scenarios, you can be right or you can be free. And I think sometimes whenever we, we, we don't, it's just like, well, I don't, I'd, I'd just rather be right and walk in bondage. And okay, piece it together, kind of make some sense. We, don't we try to do that? We try to make some sense of the, in the messiness of our lives. And I'm just saying it can be a torture chamber. <laughs> Because he holds all the pieces to the puzzle. And he sees what we cannot. I love in the Bible where Job (laughs) has his encounter with God. And we have chapter after chapter after chapter of crazy things that happen in Job's world. And, you know, for family dying and losing everything. And then all of a sudden, and and God is essentially silent. Job's talking, 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 talking. Here's the thing I think I've learned about God sometimes. Whenever we're talking, um, he goes silent. (laughs) Sometimes he's waiting for us to be still before him. And so that's the place where Job got. And God says, essentially, are you done? You good? I'm glad you got it all out. And then he looks at Job. And he says, now brace yourself like a man, and let me question you. Were you there when I laid the foundations of the world? This is Job 38 through 40. Now imagine this, the God of the ages said, were you there, Job, whenever I stretched out the foundations of the world? Were you there in the beginning? Were you there whenever I determined the exact measurements of all of the heavens and all of the skies? Whenever I came to that conclusion and that decision, were you there? Have you commanded the morning to begin since before the days were created? Did you, Job, fill up the oceans and all the seas and all the lake? Did you, excuse me, did, did, did you fill that up, Job? Did you Or do you know the measurements, the exact measurements of the heavens? Do you know the way to light? Do you know where darkness hides? Do you know? And of course, the emphatic response, the truth is, "Mm -mm. nah, sure don't. And in there is a reality that he is God. And this is what we sign up to be on this journey of getting to know him. And so here's the deal, church. What's the big ask? What's the, where's all this? What do you want from me? You know, Brandon, what, where's all this going? What do you want from me? What's the ask? What's the push? I'm so glad you asked. Here we go. Number one, three simple things that I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to charge you individually as a church. Number one, Number one, you can write this down if you want. Resolve that God's purposes will prevail. God's purposes 
will prevail. Look, you guys, I know there's crazy things going on in our world, and I'm not making light of it. And I know whether you like the current president or not, blah, blah, blah. And who's going to come? Look, at the end of the day, do you believe in a God who is able to accomplish his purposes if we are faithful to him as the church? Do you think he is up in heaven wondering, oh God, what's going to happen next? No, I am God. I know what's going to happen next. Nothing moves him. Nothing shakes him. Nothing knocks him off of his throne. He is in a position of complete power and complete sovereignty. And I think sometimes we need to remind our problems about how big our God is instead of reminding our God, this is my problem. This is my issue. This is my circumstance. This is what's happened. Do you know what happened? And he says, yes, I was there. My heart was breaking with you. I'm not a deistic reality who kind of sets the world in motion and I walk away. No, I experience every burden in your heart, every painful place, every moment of the journey, every bit of rejection, every bit of pain, Every bit, I think some of the most painful times is the pain, is the pain of being misunderstood. Anybody been there before? And to know that he is one who perfectly understands you in every season, in every moment of your life. This is who he is. And so number one, I feel like the Lord would challenge you to resolve in your heart. You know what, God? No matter what I feel, no matter what has happened, I am declaring not just over me, over my children and my children's children. God, your purposes will prevail. As for me in my house, Joshua 24, 15, we will serve the Lord our God. God's purposes will be established. I don't care what it looks like. I don't, God's purposes will prevail. Amen? Amen. Okay, so secondly, secondly, um, before I tell you, the, the, the point number two, what I want to challenge you to do, uh, it was about five months ago or so, uh, my three-year-old, Ryan, I told you, she's nothing like she look, looks like in the picture. She's rambunctious and talkative, and I mean, she's got a lot to say about everything. And, and, and you know how like when a two-and-a-half-year-old asks you a question, you know, there's a, you know, there's a little bit of, ah, like, surely I can answer any question that a two-year-old would ask, right? I mean, wouldn't we all feel that way? I mean, we're all, we all have brains in the room, right? You would go, and, so, and so it's like, okay, uh, so we're going through animal sounds. And she's like, okay, daddy, you know, what song, what sound does the dog make? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm so smart. Um, my child. <laughs> uh, rough, rough, you know? And she's like, oh, okay. And I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, and then he said, what, what sound does the cat make? And I'm like, meow. Ow, baby. Ow. Okay, and so I'm just like, yeah, you know, this is what, you know, great. And then she says, Dad, what sound does a peacock make? And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> like, well, I, uh, uh, are you kidding me? Like, a, a peacock? Like, why do you even know what a peacock is? Like, what did you say a peacock? I'm going to choke whoever gave you a peacock card, whatever. And then it's like, and so she says, what sound does a peacock? And I'm like, uh, hmm. Uh, and so I did what any sensible person would do. I got on Facebook and pulled all my friends. And I said, guys, what sound does a peacock make? Tell me quick, you know? And, and so I finally, it leads me to a YouTube. Somebody posted a, um, a video of YouTube. And turns out, who, who knew? Uh, they make sounds. And it's like, oh, you know? <laughs> so I go back to my daughter because, you know, I didn't want to tell her. Like, I, I, I don't want to say those three words that, you know, that, 
I mean, it's the reason why whenever a guy's driving and we don't know where we're going, it's like, we'll figure it out. You know what I'm saying? There's, I'm smart. I mean, I'm a little bit intelligent. You know, I've got an undergrad degree. I've got a master's degree. I can figure this thing out. And so I go back to Ryan. And I'm like, ah, you know, and I make the sound. And I didn't want to say those three words that can be, feel like some of the most uh, humiliating words I don't know I mean see it's the way that my brain works and so spare me I need counseling I feel like whenever I say that it's like I'm less than or I don't you know it's just something like I'd rather just uh, pretend like I know and figure it out and then be able to give an answer anybody ever been there before and it's like what I I don't I don't know right now. You know, let me, let me go and find out. And then there's just something about sitting in the reality of I don't know. That's one thing whenever you're talking to a two-year-old. It's another thing whenever you're sitting with yourself in your own thoughts, looking at your own life experiences, or trying to figure out why something happened in your life or didn't happen in your life, or trying to explain to someone else, why is this going on? Why is this going great for them and bad for you? Why is it that you have a college degree yet you can't find a job? Why is it that you couldn't hold a marriage together? Why is it that they left you? Why is it that you're on your third marriage? Why is it that your kids are going crazy? Didn't you raise them in church? Didn't you teach them enough scripture? Didn't you pray over them enough whenever they were children? Why is it that your family is a mess? And yet the, the family likes it right next to you everything is going awesome and to muster these words i don't know i don't know i got enough trying to figure out why i do what i do how can i figure out what god is doing i don't know secondly after you resolve that god's purposes will prevail number two church what i'm challenging you to do is to release the I don't know moments to the Lord. And you know what I'm talking about. We all have them. Everybody. And some of us are in a I don't know season. Are you still single? I don't know. Why don't you have kids yet? I don't know. Haven't you been trying for a while? I don't know. Are you ready to have kids? I don't know. What's wrong with your wife? Does she not? I don't know. What? What? Why don't you have that job? I don't. No, why are you still here? Do you plan on moving away? I don't know. I don't know. Why'd that happen to you? I don't know. I don't. I just don't know. See, what happens whenever we don't release those moments to the Lord is that it's kind of like trying to peer around a corner, having this vantage point, and me trying to see around the corner I will work myself crazy trying to see what I'll never be able to see from this position. Do you understand that? And many of us, it's like our hands of praise and prayer and worship are tied because of the I don't know moments. And the enemy has us right where he wants us. Because as long as we're holding on to that I don't know moment, we can never press forward and see the things that God has for us. It's the reality. There have been things that have transpired in my life where I still, after serving God for over a decade, saying, I still say, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why that happened. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why they did it. I don't, 
I don't know. Release the I don't know moments to the Lord. Here's the thing that I've learned. Whenever you can't trace God's hand, you can trust God's heart. You've got to have something in you, God. I don't know. I can't trace you, but I can trust you because I've encountered your love. You are a good father. You are perfect in all of your ways. You can trust him. And finally, the third point, resolve that God's purposes will prevail. Number two, release the I don't know, I don't know moments to the Lord. And number three, God's calling us to rest in the mystery of God. Rest in the mystery of God. That's a little unsettling because we, we like to think that we know a few things about God, especially those of us who've served him for a while. There's some kind of, there's a false sense of comfort that, oh God, I know what God's doing. I, I know I'm smart. I'm mature in God. I've, I'm a big deal. <laughs> But he calls us to rest in the mystery of who he is. In the Old Testament, there, were, uh, there was something called the tabernacle. And you've got to understand about the scriptures that God's revelation is progressive. So that means that step by step, God has been revealing himself to us from Genesis 1. And he'll continue to reveal himself until the fulfillment of Revelation. And so one of the areas in which God was revealed himself in the Old Testament was in this thing called the, the tabernacle. And I don't have time to go through all the pieces and, and the metaphors of what all these pieces of the tabernacle meant. But suffice it to say that you had the outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies, or the most holy place. And in that place was what we called the Ark of the Covenant. It would be like if God had a little house here on earth. That's where it was. It was the God box. It was where his manifest presence was, okay? And so it was overlaid with gold and there was two angels and their wings were overlooking this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Inside of the Ark of the Covenant was uh, Aaron's rod that budded and manna and parts of the Ten Commandments. But essentially, where the high priest would go in, where God's full manifest presence was, this is what the priest would do. He would go into that holy place and he would make a sacrifice. And this is where God was. And so the priest would stick his head inside and say, He saw nothing. This is where God was. This is where the presence of God was. This is where God essentially lived. And what was there? Air. Nothing to the eye. And I think in that God was communicating from the very beginning. I am not like you. You were made in my image. But my ways are higher than your ways. And you'll never be able to Figure me out. So stop trying. It is exhausting. Rest in the reality that I am mysterious by my very nature. See, if you can figure out everything that's going on in your life and everything that God has done in your life and everything that God will do and everything exactly down to the articulation of the wise behind the what that God's doing right now, you are not serving God. You are serving a figure of your imagine, a figment of your imagination because my God is mysterious by his very nature. Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool and he seeks counsel from God's calling us to rest in his mystery. And the 
things that we don't understand. It's a mystery of light, not a mystery of darkness. And it's beautiful and it's powerful and we can rest. You can rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Rest in the mystery of who I am and trust my heart, but you cannot trace my hand. I want you to stand to your feet this morning. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.